Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. My lovely friends, it's so nice to have you back on the podcast this week. How are y'all? No, seriously, how are you really? I hope you're doing incredible and living vibrant, filled lives. So if you guys like this podcast, would you consider subscribing, writing us a genuine review? We love reading them. This is a recent review we got from Jay Riker. I don't remember how I stumbled upon this podcast, but it's meant to be, and thank you, Jesus. This has been eye-opening to listen to, and I feel like I'm in the conversation with you guys. It's a perfect podcast for all seasons of life. Thank you, Jay Riker. We appreciate it. Okay, y'all. So earlier this year, I watched a documentary on Netflix called Liberated, The New Sexual Revolution. I had no idea what I was getting myself in for, but on top of being highly unaware of just how bad our hookup culture was, I also found myself heartbroken by what I saw. So I just knew we had to talk about it. What's going on in our modern society of hookup culture land? It's wild. So today we're talking to Benji Nolo, who directed Liberated, as well as other films like Nefarious. And on top of that, he's also the founder and CEO of Exodus Cry. Exodus Cry exists to break the cycle of commercial sexual exploitation and works to set women and girls free. Over the past decade, Benji has campaigned aggressively for the abolition of sex trafficking. His deep drive comes from a place that he believes everyone should be free. Benji is rich with wisdom, my friends, and he has seen a ton. He really has. So today, we dive into the hookup culture and the narratives surrounding men and women. We discuss how in the world did we get here, and how can we combat this? Also, I just have to say this, y'all. We cannot be naive to the fact that we are affected by the hookup culture. This is a real thing, and it does impact us. So I hope you enjoy this deep dive conversation with Benji Nolo. Benji, I'm so excited to have you on Heart of Dating today. Good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. I love it. Thanks so much. And you know what, Benji? You do a lot of different things. So I just want to start off by talking about some of those things that you do. So you're the president and founder of Exodus Cry, which is an international nonprofit organization that's committed to the abolition of sex trafficking, which honestly, gosh, has just been so incredible with the rise of different movements, especially this last year. Um, And so I just want to thank you first and foremost, before we dive into all of our conversation for all the work you're doing with Exodus Cry. Um, It's just so transformative powerful and, and really beautiful. So thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah. I, it's, it's been a crazy 10 year journey that we've been on uh, yeah. with Exodus cry um, since we started back in 2008 and we're super grateful for being able to be a part of this modern day abolition movement that is trying to bring an end to the exploitation of women and children in our world. So, um, so yeah, thanks for that shout out. It's awesome. Oh my gosh, the work you guys are doing are, is really transformative. And what I also love and something that we're going to touch on today, it kind of leads us into, you know, our conversation, but you're also, you've written, directed, produced different, two different documentaries um, and one which we're really going to dive into today. And something that really actually impacts us in the dating culture um, as men and women. So 
You've completed a ton of research specifically on the hookup culture in our modern time, um, especially through your most recent documentary, Liberated, The New Sexual Revolution. And what I have to say is I really think in many ways we're aware that we are in a hookup culture at this time, but I don't really think in some ways that we know the true gravity and weight of what this is doing to our modern society and to our relationships. And Mm. Personally, in my opinion, it needs to be brought more to the light. And so that's why when I did see Liberated, I my eyes were just, my gosh, open so much. Um, mm. And so I'm so thankful for that documentary, and I highly recommend for everyone to see it. So I just want to jump into that and just have you explain a little bit what made you want to create the film Liberated and maybe just some key takeaways from creating that film. Sure. Uh, We had made Nefarious. uh, So we had gone to four continents, 19 countries, and uh, 42 cities documenting. That's your your first documentary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our first documentary on global sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And after we were done with that film, it was about a four-year journey to make that. On the heels of that production, we were um, still left haunted by the image of not just women and children for sale in all these places around the world, but the droves of men that were lining up to buy these women and children. Wow. And um, we, we learned about um, the vast scores of men in our society that are participating in buying women and children for sex. Yeah. And so, um, so in countries, Western civilized countries like Germany, where um, there are 1.5 million purchases of sex per day, wow. um, just as one example. Yeah. And so I think the previous idea was that, that um, you know, the Johns, the, the, the male sex buyers were these figures with horns on their head and in the shadowy part of the park late at night. And these, you know, mm-hmm. figures that that were just these inherently dark, distorted, perverted figures. But what we've come to see in our modern day civilized society is that male sex buyers come from every walk of life, every strata of, of society. They are your doctor, your lawyer, your, your, um, your husband, your father. And so we're learning more about this phenomenon and how specifically the demand is fueling the global sex trafficking industry. So I'm saying all that to say that as we contemplated this and as we were processing all that we had seen related to this, uh, we started to ponder this question of what kind of society is producing so many men willing to buy a woman or child for sex? Yeah. And so it was that question that catapulted us into production on this, you know, what was to be a second documentary. Mm-hmm. And initially we were going to explore the larger sexual culture of America mm. to look at the forces that are socializing our young boys um, into their conception of sexuality, masculinity, manhood, mm-hmm. all these things. And as a small subsection of this larger film, we imagined you know, going to spring break to capture young adult attitudes about sex. I had grown up watching MTV spring break. Right. And I thought this would be, <laughs> that kind yeah. of dates me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I grew up watching the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, ironically, uh, 
for this podcast on dating. I was on uh, that show Singled Out on MTV that was hosted by Jenny McCarthy back in the day. You were? No way. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fun fact. Did not know that at all. I love it. <laughs> oh my yeah. So much. To my shame and embarrassment. No, it's okay. I was a huge MTV <laughs> fan, and TRL was all up my alley every single day. That's all I watched. I like, yeah. really wanted to go to that. Anyway, I love it. So, so we get down there and we film for several weeks. And on the last day, uh, the last afternoon of the last day that we were there, right before we were um, going to leave, we ran into a situation where girls were being. Um, sexually violated on the beach wow. um, at this large beach party at Panama city beach. And we, so we left that trip um, a little bit conflicted. Um, on one hand, we felt like we were able to capture some of the attitudes and things that we had expected, but this new piece of girls mm-hmm. being sexually violated really in um, front of other people, right on the beach. Yeah, it was just kind of in broad daylight. Girls were being groped and all kinds of things. And so uh, just violated in different ways. And so we felt really compelled to go back and further investigate whether this was um, the normal experience for young women going to spring break. And so we went back and and then we went back the next year and the next year. So we ended up going for – let's see – ended up going for I think four or five years in a row Wow! Yeah. Uh, down there to film. And it just, it blew up into a much larger film and a much larger project and, and really just kind of was a, a pivot for us. Mm. Um, again, the issue of the sexual normalization of the sexual violation of young women at spring break being the catalyst to drive us deeper into a film that would examine attitudes about sex what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and specifically the whole dating culture, if you will, yeah. which, you know, today I don't, you know, it's not even called dating culture, it's called hookup culture. Right. That's a, Especially a term that sociologists oh. coined um, back uh, several years ago uh, when they started to uh, do research on what was happening on college campuses. And several books have been written about this, yeah. um, how the landscape has entirely changed. And so I'm sure we'll get into more of that, but that's just a little bit of context and backdrop for Liberated. Okay. So, and you kind of touch on this, but some of the most, like, what would you say are some of, because you weren't really expecting to go down that route and then you experience this crazy thing that you guys just couldn't avoid thinking about and wanting to dive more into. And so- what were some of the things that you kind of discovered, I guess, maybe top level things that you were maybe not expecting about the hookup culture and, you know, just masculinity and femininity, femininity, if I can say the word overall, um, after creating this film? Well, that's a huge, huge question. So, uh, I'll, I'll start I'll start with just trying to bite just off a maybe, piece of it. Yeah, because we'll just dive into it. But I know there's so much and I have a lot to talk about. But yeah, just maybe like some of the top level things that you're like, wow, this yeah. is this is crazy. No, it's a great question. And and I'm glad you asked it because there's, there's just a lot to dig in there. So um, to start with, I think I'll, what I'll mention is that what's not new is the idea of casual sex. Mm-hmm. And so – you know, that is something that we were given through the sexual revolution and yeah. this, this 
shifting in in attitudes towards sex that mm-hmm. actually started with the release of Alfred Kinsey's book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male. It was released in 1948. Mm. Um, and so he was called the father of the sexual revolution. Yeah. And what it spawned was the summer of love of 1967, in which a generation essentially just cast off all restraint, cast off all traditional notions of sexuality, um, and really just kind of dove headlong into casual sex. And, um, but embedded within the, the culture of that time in this movement was this idea of love. So the summer of love, and it was framed as this more broad expression of love and, you know, redefining of love as it doesn't have to be knit to one person, but you can express your love mm-hmm. to many people. And so I, I think, you know, looking at, you know, fast forward from 1967 to you know, 50 years later to uh, the time that we're down at spring break and, um, you know, documenting hookup culture, the, the big thing that is new mm. um, is this idea of hooking up um, without any feelings at all and mm. without any wow. ethical framework at all, without any adoration for that other person, any affection for that other person any emotion towards that other person, just this idea of, of hooking up, um, you know, literally in this kind of cannibalistic, consumptive, objectified, Mm. dehumanized way, which is, you know, just one person using another, two people using each other for nothing more than, you know, a pleasure experience, just just blatant hedonism. Whatever and, makes us feel good in that moment. And just right. it's it, like we're in this time of, interestingly enough, of authenticity and doing what feels authentic to ourselves. And that is a word that's thrown around a lot. But I think on there's good parts to that. But on the flip side, the negative part of that is being authentic to ourselves means that we're doing whatever feels right and good to us in this moment, which can obviously come into play when you're talking about sex and hooking up because it is, it's a consumeristic mentality of, well, I'm going to do whatever feels good for me because that's right and true for me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, you know, part of the problem of postmodernism is that you have, when you put the two things together, when you have this idea of authenticity Mm -hmm. that, you know, is expressed through giving place to doing whatever I want at any time I want. And you have that alongside of a postmodern framework, which doesn't have, so you can kind of define your truth as you go, so to speak. And there's no real firm grounding for any kind of moral compass. You put those two things together and you have a very toxic cocktail. And so um, I think that, you know, the question that this raises is, is one of ethics. If we can take essentially the highest human ethic of love and, well, I mean, one of the other things I would say that we discovered in the, in the course of making mm-hmm. Liberated is that young adults increasingly don't even believe in love. Mm-hmm. Now, that was that was a a profound discovery to me to see the cynicism wow. of people at, at literally 18, 19, 20 years old. I, I I was not prepared for that answer when I asked people, you know, like, what does love mean to you? To get that 
so many people saying back to me, oh, I don't even believe in love yeah. was, was really surprising. Wow. So, so some people say, oh, none of that's new. People have always been hooking up. And to a point, I'd agree, I, I, I'd agree with that, but I would still say that there, there's value in unpacking the reality of what's happening in our culture today. But the fact is, is that there are new pieces to this. A, the idea that love does not exist anymore. Mm. And B, that your sexual acting out, if you will, your sexual um, exploration um, does not need to be guided by any kind of feelings for that other person and can purely be about just a, you know, having a pleasurable experience. Those, those two things are new and, and I think yeah. raise really important questions about um, what we value in our society today and, and really question the, not just a moral compass, but an, an ethical compass, yeah. you know, as, as you, as, as you and I, as um, people of faith, yeah, I think that you know we are our worldview is really informed by a strong moral compass, but just on a societal level, I think these issues raise important ethical questions. Regardless if somebody subscribes to um, our faith or biblical teaching or yeah. um, any kind of Judeo-Christian framework, I think it just it as it, it begs questions about um, ethics and. You know, what does that mean for us as a society and where yeah. where are we going from here? So I love that you just brought up, obviously, faith. And we talk a ton about Jesus on here. And it would be naive to say with everything that you've just said and all of the research you've done and experience in this film and, and outside of that, it'd be naive to say that the hookup culture of our modern time is not affecting us as the body of Christ. And I did, I recently read, I don't know if you've read the book Divine Sex by Jonathan Grant, but... Fantastic book, just talking talking about the hypersexualization of of our culture and how we navigate that as Christians. And one specific thing, there's so many statistics in the book, but one specific thing it said was that, interestingly enough, seventy percent of unmarried evangelicals have had sex with at least one person in the previous twelve months. Sixty nine to seventy percent, and that stat is staggering to me because when I think about it, I realize that it's so evident that there's a gap between what we believe in some ways as Christians and what we and what we actually do in the areas of physical boundaries and sex. So we can go to church on Sunday and appear to be doing quote unquote the right thing or loving Jesus and doing all the right Christian things, but outside of that, we may be living different narratives largely influenced by our culture at large and this hookup culture. And so I guess to just dive into that, since a lot of people listening are Christian, is to say, one, that we we can't be naive to say that this is not affecting us, even as Christians. And so how do you think that it is affecting us? And what do you think, I guess, that we could we can do about that to be aware of it and combat it? Well, I'd say just, again, I, I probably have to go back a little bit to give more yeah. context for your question, which again, I think is a really, really important dialogue for us to be having. Uh, and I think it goes back to really the stories that we tell in our society today, mm -hmm. understanding the role of story and understanding how stories have not only changed in our culture today, but the way that stories, who's transmitting those stories mm. has changed and by virtue of that, how much more exposed to the culture believers are today. 
how people of faith are today. So in in previous generations, you know, you have a story, you could, a society could designate us, you know, the storytellers, every society would, would, um, you know, sort of give ascendance to these figures of moral authority, whether it be a a teacher, a village sage, a a town pastor, um, you know, any number of of authoritative figures. Mm -hmm. And these figures would, would offer um, stories through oral tradition um, and then eventually through written tradition. And, and uh, these stories were embedded with values and the values were meant to hold the society together. Yeah. And the, the stories that were told, it was understood that, you know, for us to survive as a people, mm-hmm. um, there are certain values and ethics and, and things that are an important fundamental part of how we relate to each other. You know, things like don't murder. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. <laughs> embedded into, you know, and so, um, and, and, and stories were passed down this way mm-hmm. and transmitted this way for millennia. And, and so for us as social beings, you know, just to offer this one perspective that, that culture does not fall fully formed from heaven. Mm-hmm. And so True. we're social yeah. beings, um, you know, our, our, biological, uh, you know, um, DNA is not genetic. Is ju- our, our, our social DNA is not just genetically encoded into our biological genes. Like they come, it comes through the stories. The idea of what it means to be a normal human being comes through the stories that are told in our society. Yeah. And so, um, so as we grow up, we are socialized by, mm-hmm. in relationship to these stories. We internalize the stories and the construction of our ideas of what it means to be a man, a woman, um, a sexual being, a normal person in society. Okay. So just to kind of offer that as a perspective to say that today the stories have changed so dramatically because of the advent of modern media Mm -hmm. and um, with, with media and social media, film and and music and and the, the internet and television, you know, all, the, Pornography. the way that stories get communicated is is totally different. So, yeah, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is is mm-hmm. this idea that the role of storyteller has been usurped by corporate media entities whose motivation for their stories isn't about holding together a society, but about making money and gaining viewers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is right. The whole idea behind yeah. fake news is, you know, that news agencies now are more interested in getting viewers than they are communicating real journalism. And so the whole news landscape has changed. Well, the whole storytelling landscape has changed entirely. And so, yeah. so why is this relevant to us as people of faith? Well, it's relevant because, you know, a couple hundred years ago, you know, as, as a community of faith, we might decide that to preserve the stories within our community to these you know, certain set of biblical stories or maybe some extra biblical mm-hmm. stories, but they, they're all, there's a, there's a moral congruity. There's a, um, there's an ethical cohesion and coherence in that. And, uh, whereas today that, that, that ability to preserve, um, and that ability to contain no longer exists. And right. so people of faith are, exposed to the stories of our culture today in the same way that everybody else is. 
So what we're seeing is the the distinction between people of faith and people of the world, you know, just to kind of put it plainly, that that those distinctions are extremely diminished. Right. And the issues that the world is facing, the church is facing in um, in, a, in a very um, extreme and, and I would say almost unprecedented way. Yeah. And so, uh, so there are some in, deeply, you know, inherent challenges as people of faith growing up in this culture today uh, by virtue of that. And so, I mean, we can, we can press into that, but I, I think that's just an important context to get to understand why that we don't see as much of a distinction or why, you know, as you put it, you know, Christians, people of faith are being um, so affected mm-hmm. by the messages of culture today. And I think it's like the point too is that we are being affected by it. And I think a lot of uh, people in the church don't really want to admit that we are really. And that's where I think there's a challenge. And I think that's why it affects dating so heavily is because we think that we're doing the right things or we think that we have our mindset in the right place, but we can't be naive to the fact that all of the media, all of the pornography, all of the consumeristic mentality that's like driven to us, even when we go to the mall or just, you know, through advertising is not, is affecting how we view men and women, how we affect view one another and how we actually date one another. Friends. Okay. Exciting news. So through all of my podcast conversations, meeting with pastors, speakers, and authors, the reading of every relationship book under the sun, coupled with my own 15 years of dating experience, I have realized that I am bursting at the seams with knowledge and insight. So I took everything I learned throughout my 15 years of dating experience, and I created something amazing, and I'm excited to be introducing it to you today via the Date Great course. The Date Great course is a time for you to dive into transforming your dating life. I will equip you over a five-week time span with the knowledge, tools, and insight you need to love your dating life again and find a healthy, lasting Christian relationship. In module one, we're going to talk about how singleness is not a disease. We'll discuss how we can steward this time well to cultivate holy ambition and develop disciplines that will set us up for marriage. In module two, we'll talk about what is dating anyway, and we'll go over an awareness of your real intentions and ambitions in dating. I will also give you a framework for the various stages of dating, how to navigate each one, and how to initiate different kinds of conversations. In module three, we'll talk about dating essentials. We'll talk about how to know you're dateable, what qualities do you need to have, and then what kind of qualities do you really need to look for in someone else? What kind of a list should you have? Lastly, in module four, we're going to talk about how do you know that you know as we walk through the discernment process and truly determining if you want to spend your life with someone. We will also discuss breakups and how to handle them on either side. There will also be bonus content, including the ultimate dating essentials checklist, the top secrets to initiating, the love thyself guide, and the ultimate breakup Bible study and prayer guide. I am giving Heart of Dating listeners the chance to get on a special list to have first access to this course. You can visit heartofdating.com slash date great to reserve your spot today. I have so much hope and excitement for all of you. I really don't want you to have to go through all the pain, destruction, and frustration I went through. You are ready for freedom and breakthrough and an amazing relationship. So visit heartofdating.com slash date great. So 
in one part of the film that you talked about at the beginning that was particularly disturbing was the sexual violence piece. And a quote from the film that I just found to be so astounding is that one in five women are sexually assaulted while in college, which is just awful and so, so heartbreaking. And we can't turn a blind eye to that to that, to that fact alone. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on how our culture has influenced both how women see themselves and how men see women. Um, and then also, you know, how this is affecting dating because it is, it's affecting how we see ourselves as women in dating relationships. And it's affecting how men see women and sometimes how they treat women when they don't even realize. And I have to give people grace for that as well, that a lot of times men don't even realize sometimes the way they're treating women and vice versa. Women have a role to play in that. But I would just love to dive into some of that because that was particularly disturbing for me. And I know a huge learning from that film. So I'll go back again to answer this question to the sexual revolution. And and what was happening there was the women's liberation movement. And, um, and there's, there's different ways of viewing what was happening during that time. Uh, but on one level, women really were coming out of the basement of patriarchal subjugation and reclaiming their own sexuality and saying, you know, we, we don't exist solely for your pleasure. We can have our own sexuality. And, um, and so al- what ended up happening, though, is this um, during the women's sex- uh, liberation movement, you know, there was this idea of empowerment and, and women finding, claiming their own sexuality, claiming their own voice, claiming their own role in society and not, not conforming to patriarchal expectations for, you know, who women were said to be. And, um, but what ended up happening is that the, the advent of widespread media around that time created a platform through which um, the dominant image of women in media became women who were um, sexualized, objectified. Um, and, and so along with that came this idea that empowerment is equal to looking like the hypersexualized, objectified image of, of whatever woman I'm seeing on the magazine cover, right. media, whatever, whatever, the, mm-hmm, the idea of a, mm-hmm. a sex symbol. And so I think that the women's liberation movement was really hijacked by this notion of empowerment that tells women that in order to be a powerful woman, you have to A, um, look, you know, have the look, look hot, yep. look sexual, look yep. provocative, whatever, and B, be able to act in similar ways and be able to act that out. Yeah. And, um, and so without going into the details of how all that was began to form and began to shape just, you know, fast forward, you know, uh, several decades to Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. And this message is, has been so deeply reinforced in our society today. So I'll just cite one example that I often cite, which is Cosmopolitan magazine. Mm. So, because part of the problem is not, you know, women's sexuality is not the problem. It's the idea of the single story. Mm. And so, you know, if, so with Cosmopolitan magazine, what you will find on the cover of their magazine every single month without deviation is an image of a scantily clad, objectified, hypersexualized woman with the come Heather look on her face, right? 
Mm-hmm. And and so you will find people like Kim Kardashian, you will find mm-hmm. people like Paris Hilton and scores of others who'll be featured on the cover of their magazine. But what you won't find is somebody who's excelling in business, somebody who's excelling mm-hmm. in athletics, mm-hmm. somebody who's excelling in some other field. Now, this is the most popular women's magazine of all time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so again, just to say that there's no platform given or celebration of any other way of being in the world as a woman other than having this you know, particular look. And so if you today ask 100 girls, 11, you know, ages 11 to 14 years old, name for me some of the pop culture icons of our, uh, you know, some yep. of the icons of our pop culture today, they, they will be able to rattle off names like Nicki Minaj and Miley Cyrus and et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Then you ask them to name the three female Supreme Court justices, and you'll find very few of those hundred girls that could name the three female Supreme Court justices. But why is that? It's, you know, being a, a Supreme Court justice is one of the, the highest things that you can become in our society. Yeah. And yet there's almost zero attention given to that in female culture because it's not what's presented as being cool, hip, empowering, liberating for women. Mm. And so the, the, so the single story that is being promoted and told through our culture about what it means to be a woman is to be this hypersexualized, objectified, um, provocatrice. And so girls in our society, they, they grow up, uh, you know, uh, from, I mean, early ages, but let's yeah. just say that, you know, nine years old as like a later age, they start to look out at the world around them to construct their idea of what it means to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And now they're seeing the Cosmopolitan magazine and they're seeing the music videos, you know, and they're seeing the representation and the presentation of women and the story about women presented in this one very narrow single context. So, so they internalize that in the construction again of their identity, worldview values, what it means to be a visible, empowered, liberated woman. Yeah. And and it, it has so so there's incredible amount of pressure on girls growing up and young women to conform into this image of the hypersexualized person. Uh, oh, so gosh, yeah. that helps explain why there are, you know, why the makeup industry is a billion dollar industry, why the plastic mm. surgery industry is a billion dollar. It's it's everybody is trying to conform to this one image well so that's one trajectory is the internalization of the stories in our culture on the part of young girls as they grow into their adolescence and into young women and who they you know who they are inspired to be in the world well this also has an impact on how men view women yeah and so young boys are trained to view women as sexual conquests, mm-hmm. as sexual objects. Um, one of the things that you'll see in the presentation of women, again, in magazines like Cosmopolitan Magazine, is this notion of women pleasing men sexually. So you'll see articles like 50 mm-hmm. ways to please your man, 10 ways to get him off, 11 yep. tips on da-da-da-da. It's, it's primarily about women existing for male pleasure. So the yeah. irony of the women's liberation movement is that it started with this idea of reclaiming 
our sexuality and our own sexuality and not just existing for male sexual pleasure anymore, but actually adopting the idea that, 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 you know, women can experience sexual pleasure too. Yeah. And it started with that. And yet it's come full circle now back to this idea that women exist for male sexual pleasure. Oh my gosh. So, so the, to me, there's nothing in our culture that testifies to this in a greater way than the hookup culture. Yeah. Inherently, the hookup culture has nothing to do with female sexual pleasure. I mean, you don't have to know a lot about the biopsychosocial makeup of women to understand that most women in these contexts mm-hmm. are not experiencing great degrees of sexual pleasure. And, and, you know, there are books that have been written about this and oh, research to sure. back this up, but Absolutely. it's not, hookup culture is not about female sexual pleasure. It's about getting men off. Yeah. And so men are internalized to view women as sexual objects. So they then adopt this very consumptive, transactional um, way of approaching relationships. And the idea is then to, you know, consume a woman's sexuality for my pleasure and also beyond that for my ego. And mm-hmm. so it's a way, you know, it, scoring many women is a way for me to elevate my status among my male peers. Right. And so you have a guy like Dan Bilzerian who is yep. famous for one thing, posting pictures on Instagram of all the girls that he's hooking up with that are, you know, dressed in bikinis or whatever, whatever. So he goes on one of the most popular podcasts in the world, probably the most popular podcast, which is Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. And Joe Rogan calls him the biggest baller on the planet. So that is the idea in male peer culture is that to be a baller, to reach the apogee of male existence Mm -hmm. is to consume as many women as you can and not for their pleasure, for your pleasure. They exist for your pleasure. And when, so men are expected to consume, women are expected to conform. And what you have is this train wreck of this collision of um, male, female collision, which we haven't gotten to this yet. And, you know, I'll I'll end with this, but um, which ends up getting to a point where women are experiencing widespread sexual violation in just astronomical numbers. But that's that's underneath it. Everything and that's it. And you see it. all of this played out in Liberated, actually, in so many ways. Because you see that empowerment from men on men to hook up with other women. And then it's like, you know, they're getting like status amidst their men group. And then the females are like, I mean, there's so many storylines that played out that express exactly what you're talking about. But how can we today, and hearing everything that we've heard, talking everywhere from you know, the hookup culture and the vast impact of the hookup culture and how it's impacting both our world at large, but also us as Christians. And we can't be naive to how men view women, how women view women. And how can we, do you think, make an active change in the hookup culture? Or what do you think we can apply overall? Like just some practical things that we can take away to feel like, okay, we can, we can combat this and we can, you know, healthily. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think as I think we have to as individuals, we have to learn to disrupt and redirect. Yeah. The so 
So we're being bombarded with these messages. And I think that it's important to develop a a level of media literacy that allows us to distinguish between the lies and the truth and the deception and reality uh, of what's so. um, These are all such huge subjects. I literally have a million things swirling in my head and I'm trying to put it into something really concise. No, it's awesome though. I think just, so, so we have to first be able to, to disrupt, you know, as we're being bombarded, disrupt the lies, disrupt the message. And, and then we have to redirect and, and we have to, um, you know, when, when these messages come at us, we have to be able to, to discover, um, truth and to be able to claim that, uh, for mm. ourselves against the things that are being projected onto us. So I think the work for us, again, without going too deeply into it. So I think the work for us today is to reclaim our identity from the culture, yeah. uh, to reclaim our sexuality from the culture yeah. and, um, and, and to begin to construct a new way of being in the world and to begin to tell a new story. Mm. And, um, and so those are some of the things I think that are immediately in front of us. You know, how does that get walked out? Again, I think that's another probably two hour long conversation. But um, maybe we'll do a follow up. (laughs) But but just to put it in a nutshell, I think that's you know part of what's really important here. And 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 just to go back to this, I I do as we're I'm aware as we're having this conversation, how many people that are listening to this have been affected by a negative sexuality, Mm. Um, the sexuality that is either violating or deadening or um, numbing. yeah. Uh, sexuality is weaponized and and there's there's trauma mm-hmm. in people's lives as a result of that and again so i just want to emphasize the the need for compassion yeah and gentleness and understanding as we dialogue about these things because even you and i having this conversation mm. could trigger people yeah. um, into a place of shame or it could trigger yeah. people into a place of feeling exposed and so this even as we're having this i just want to continue to just cover the listeners to know that if you have experienced sexual brokenness, that uh, you're not alone and that this is a part of the reality of our world today. And yet there is a way forward through this madness and through this mess. And uh, so I don't, I just, I just felt. No, that's beautiful because yeah, I mean, as a woman, on as a woman, I can say that I have been affected by sexual abuse, and I'm I love the conversations I get to have with women about that and the healing, the beautiful healing that comes out and being separated from shame because there it, there can be so much shame attached to that, and I was a victim to that for so many years. And so, anyway, I'm just so glad that you brought that up because there is just so much compassion, so much love that we need to have for people. Um, and, and for there. ourselves. And for ourselves. I think yeah. One of one of the ways that people it's not easy to have compassion on yourself. Yeah. And um and I think that a lot of what people fall into is uh self-blame. Um they blame themselves for the abuse that they experienced, or they blame themselves for the hookup that happened or they blame themselves for yeah, the, the the rape that they experienced. And there's a lot of shame that comes from that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so we can almost re-victimize ourselves through 
sense of blame that we put on ourselves. And I think one way to cultivate compassion on oneself is to go back. Um, and, and this is a, this is a, a really powerful exercise. Mm. And again, I'm not going to fully develop it right now, but but just to say that it's really it's a really powerful exercise to go back and talk to yourself yeah. um, as an eight year old child mm-hmm. who experienced exposure to pornography, or as that six year old child who experienced molestation, or as that twelve year old child who you know, had some type of sexual experience and to talk to yourself as that child Mm. and to offer compassion to yourself and to apologize to yourself at that age and to say, I'm sorry that nobody was here to protect you from this. And uh, engaging in, in that kind of exercise to me is a very helpful way of beginning to cultivate compassion on oneself. And I think it's a really helpful way of um, becoming freed from the feelings of, of guilt and shame that we hold over ourselves related to this issue. Mm, that's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I'm, oof. Uh, Bendy, this has been incredible, all of our conversation. And I'm just so thankful for your rich wisdom, your insight, your encouragement and empowerment um, for both men and women. And I think that eyes have most likely very much been opened through this conversation. And I hope and pray that people just feel a lot of compassion, um, no matter where they stand on the spectrum and dealing with this. And I just want to end here by asking you a question that I ask everyone. And it's just a simple question at the end of these episodes. Um, it's just one piece of small dating nugget advice that you would have for the listeners. It could just be a small little thing. Um, I think the practice, uh, uh, first of all, understanding uh, the, the concept of green lighting mm. versus the one. And also understanding how to personalize and depersonalize through the process. And so if you, you know, as believers, we, we tend to spiritual bypass a lot. And so rather than give place for natural process, we, we want to fit everything together spiritually. And so the way that gets played out in dating is this idea of the one. So it's like, I, I meet somebody, yeah. I have an interaction with them, then I have a dream. And then the dream turns into, I saw, you know, a sign over here and a sign. And we start to build this idea of, the one and when we seem to have these spiritual confirmations of that and so you can't just tell somebody no those aren't real for the person who's experiencing they are real but here's one thing that i would offer as part of that yeah that i don't think that that means that if you let's say you know you go out you meet somebody today you have a dream about them you know you open your bible to a certain verse and it says that yea shall be your husband you know whatever whatever the thing is I don't think that means that necessarily that this is the one per se, as much as it is a green light and yeah. the, and the Lord saying, you know, because otherwise he's disrupting people's free will. Yeah. I completely agree. Organize things. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I like, yeah, I like that person. I like it if you, yeah. and then, you know, if you get out of the mindset of this is the one you might find three weeks later that you have a similar experience with a different person. Mm-hmm. And does it now mean that they're the one and God was wrong about the, pre- it's just like, I, so I think the, the concept and the idea of green lighting is yeah. really important that God's a good and gentle father. He wants the best for his children. He likes that guy and that guy and that guy. And he likes you and he wants the best. And he goes, yeah, do you want, you like that person? I like that. 
Oh, you like that? I like that too. You know, yeah. so I, I think there's, there's the idea of green lighting is really a helpful perspective in the realm of dating. And then just the idea of personalizing and depersonalizing. And so understanding that when your heart is awakened, the temptation is to personalize everything to this one individual. And I think it's a helpful, helpful exercise to go macro, micro, but also to come back out macro, Mm -hmm. to go personal, but then to come out and depersonalize and go, okay, there are things happening in my heart related to this person, but let me just remove myself from the context of that person. What are the good things happening in my heart? Just objectively, yeah, you know, and um, and so I think that will save people from a lot of the heartache that oftentimes goes into dating because everything gets strictly assigned and personalized to this one person. And then if something, you know, disrupts that or that person doesn't work out, the the heart crushing, the heartache, yeah. the the confusion, the God, I thought, you know, it, it, I think it can help spare from some of that. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, super again, helpful. Both of those things. I've actually haven't heard of the term green lighting, but I love that because we've talked previously previously a lot about the idea of the one and kind of debunking that and the myth of the soulmate and all of that. And so and I love this personalizing, depersonalizing. That's that's brilliant. Um, okay, this all of this is just so helpful. Benji, you're awesome. I I just encourage everyone to go see Liberated. They can watch it on Netflix, right? Is that what Netflix. They, Netflix? Liberated, the new sexual revolution. Yes, it's incredible. And Benji, where they where can they find you otherwise? How do people connect with you if they want to connect with you? Instagram is probably the best way. Awesome. Um, Benji Nolo at whatever, or just I guess it's just Benji Nolo. Yeah, on, on Instagram. Instagram. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and we'll have all these yeah, in the show fun. notes and in the on the website and everything. Yeah. Perfect, Benji. Thank you so much just for your time today, your wisdom, your insight. This was incredible. Oh, thank you. It's been been great having this conversation with you. Thanks so much. My goodness, so much rich wisdom right there, wasn't it? Benji is filled with so much knowledge and has a lot to say about how we can be aware of what is really going on and how we actually got to this place. I love that Benji said we need to look to disrupt and redirect. Let's challenge ourselves to construct a new way of being in the world so that we can tell a new story. Let's not just go on with the status quo. Our culture right now is hypersexualized. It really is. And one of my favorite books talking about this is the book Divine Sex by Jonathan Grant. It's dense, but so good. And I literally highlighted basically the entire thing. So there's that. Definitely pick up a copy if you want to get really into how much we've turned into a sexualized culture. And also make sure to check out Liberated, the new sexual revolution on Netflix. I hope you leave today feeling awakened to the impact of the hookup culture and more aware of how it actually may be affecting you and how you perceive both sex and the opposite gender in your dating lives. I cannot be more thankful for your support of the Heart of Dating podcast. I am blown away by your rankings, reviews, messages, all of it. If you want to be a part of our inner circle and support what we are doing, we encourage you to pledge any dollar amount that you want on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash heart of dating. Also, if you like this podcast, would you please consider giving us a review? It helps us immensely and we cannot thank you more. Until next time, friends.